Welcome to the Tamarin Learning Podcast, where host Dr. Kirby Ross Plock speaks with experts on many topics relevant in the ultra high net worth family wealth management space. Kirby is author of several books, including The Complete Family Office Handbook, and shares her expertise consulting with families and family offices. Kirby is also the founder of Tamarin Learning, an online wealth education platform that develops practical, foundational learning programs for beneficiaries to help them prepare for responsible stewardship of wealth. Welcome to the Tamarin Learning Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirby Rosslock, and today we're talking to Sandy Pollack. She is the founder of Trimoran Advisory Group, which is a financial advisory firm that goes way above traditional business and estate planning. And we're talking about something near and dear to my heart, which is the human side of estate planning and really thinking about human capital. So Sandy, welcome. It's so great to have you on the podcast and to talk about this juicy topic. Thank you for inviting me, Kirby. It's a pleasure to be here. So Sandy, you and I met through the Purposeful Planning Institute in Denver, we got to have dinner and we just connected on so many different levels. But one really important thing that we both share, which is we're authors. I see your book in the back corner, Don't Leave a Mess, which again, I love the title because it means so many different things to so many different people. But we're talking about really the disaster proofing, right? Your legacy. And you took this upon yourself above and beyond your day to day job and as a founder to write this. Tell us more about this book, why you decided to write it and what's it helping you do with your the clients you work with. Thank you, Kirby. So what compelled me? Well, back in, I think it was January 19th, 2001, I was in a coaching course and they basically, uh, this is a, co- a course that was fil- a room filled with entrepreneurs, you can imagine. Uh, mostly men, there were a couple of women in there and they said, okay, pick the date that you're going to die and then Um, add five years. If you knew that you could live those five years, what are the five things that you would want to do? And then you knew that you would drop dead on the fifth year. So being in the industry that I'm in, I thought 85, that was life expectancy, take me to 90. And aside from, you know, spending more time with the family, taking vacations, doing something for the community, number four was write a book. And so now, quite frankly, Kirby, you know, I, I finished my my list of five. And if I were to be struck dead today with lightning or in where we are right now, where it's snowing, a terrible blizzard, I'm okay. I've done what I intended to do. And I don't feel that I have any regrets, but that write a book was, I, I committed to that many years ago. Well, that's incredible. But I have to ask you, you could have written creative, nonfiction, fiction, romance, um, a whole number of things. And you chose the pretty meaty topic of estate planning and risk management and disaster proofing. Tell us more about this topic and why this is so important to you. So I have been in the financial service industry for over 30 years. Uh, dealing, having very interesting conversations with entrepreneurs from founders to second generation, children of very successful individuals. And I kept seeing everybody focusing, like doing a silo approach to advising. So you'd have your lawyer there to do the wills and their legal 
you'd have the tax, you'd have the accountants doing their thing. You'd have, you know, the financial advisors, whether they needed insurance or investments or whatever, but nobody was working together. So in the end, when that wealth builder died, um, you had family members that were left unprepared. They were in shock. They were angry. There was built up resentment, misunderstandings, which could have been avoided if the wealth holder or wealth creator would have taken the time or someone would have helped them take the time to really think about uh, planning from a different lens and not just in silos. So I was tired of seeing um, family members sue each other, families being broken up over money. And I thought, you know what? I know there's a better way. And so that is what this book became was a way to help families, particularly um, family business enterprise and wealthy families, look at their planning through a different lens that will keep their families together instead of divide them because of wealth. And that was my why. I was tired of seeing messes. I was tired of seeing estate litigation become what is soon to be one of the biggest industries in, in the legal world because of missed conversations, missed questions that maybe things that could have been avoided. I mean, you have billionaire families where they're suing each other and it's not over the billions, right? It's over other stuff. And I think that that is why this, um, this book came about and it was always a mess. And if you ask anyone, oh boy, let me tell you about my uncle. Did he leave a mess? Or my dad left such a mess for me and my siblings. We don't talk anymore or cousins that, that were very close at one time, but then they have to take sides. And so this book is a labor of love, labor of grit, a, a labor of, you know, me falling on my face sometimes with people that don't want to have those somewhat more touchy feely conversations. And yet when you ask any successful entrepreneur, why are they doing what they're doing? They'll say, it's for the family. It's for the family. And yeah. yet, when does family enter into a financial statement or a tax plan or a will other than plugging in some names and some templated document? So that was why I was trying to make a dent and avoid um, avoid messes because, and I know this is a long-winded answer, but family business is the backbone and the foundation of any strong and vibrant economy because they feed families and I'm not talking about their own. They're employing families and those families are going to get their groceries and they're feeding the people that are working in the grocery stores. And that dollar just keeps repeating and growing. And the more that that dollar is being used, the stronger an economy that you have. And I think that we forget to pay homage to these unsung heroes who took risks, had grit, fell on their face and more often than not, they've created something beyond what their expectations were, because quite frankly, they just wanted to, you know, start a business and feed their family. And it grew beyond that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's so interesting to me to think about the intention of estate planning, right, which is to get your affairs in order, right? We're thinking that this is helping people get prepared for a an efficient and effective wealth transfer, tax efficient, right? We say all these buzzwords. Um, why do you think the human capital discussion or element is often missing? What goes awry? That question, I can, I'll just peel it back a bit. What goes awry? Lack of communication, lack of understanding someone's wealth journey 
and lack of empathy and compassion. More often than not, I have seen entrepreneurs create enormous amounts of wealth beyond what they thought. And if they had to choose between discussing what they want to do with it, how they want to transfer it, what they wanted to do for their families and their communities, or they have a choice of buying another commercial building, they'd rather buy another commercial building because that's easy, that's quick. When you're talking about human capital, when you're talking about the fact that wealth can sometimes soften the edges of life, uh, however, it's not about preparing the estate, it's about preparing the heirs who are going to receive it. Say there that is again. more. Say that pardon again. me? Say oh, that it, again. It's not about preparing the estate. It's about preparing the heirs and the family that's going to receive it or who is going to receive it. And I think that uh, we spend so much time on the thing instead of the people. And I have seen, uh, you know, I've had in my practice a couple that was a lottery winner. And we, we have a process and they had already gone to banks and other people and they went, you're the first advisor, Sandy, that's asked us all these other questions. Um, and you're, you're helping us understand that there's more to what we have. And I think it was $10 million. And so they ended up engaging with me. We had them on this wonderful path. There was a lot of family issues and things. And then they went off the rails and we lost touch with them because they didn't want to come back and have a conversation about, let's say, um, they had a few children and one of them was a little wayward and how to manage that and deal with that and accept some responsibility so that you can go on and and make that situation and that relationship better. So anyways, they squandered through a lot of it um, and we had to let them go as clients and it was almost like freedom. Three months after we let them go and we had hired a portfolio manager to manage their assets, which they, which had dissipated to quite a bit. I got a call from um, the spouse who said, Sandy, I just want to say we are so sorry. And I was somewhat shocked. And she said, we've been horrible clients. You know, you tried to put us on this right path, but we just got tangled up in other things. And, uh, and it's unfortunate. And it helped me realize that talking about relationships, misunderstandings, contexts that weren't understood, you know, um, having compassion for maybe not being the perfect parent, right? Maybe making mistakes and saying, you know what, I did the best I could and I did a hell of a lot better than my father did for me or my mother did for me. That when you have these frank conversations, it's amazing how forgiveness becomes something that helps people move forward. And then they can talk about aspirationally what they want for their children aspirationally what what's great about their family so that they can continue to create not just relationships within the family but to create um, a future that includes community that includes causes that are important to them that ensures that a business that employs 100 200 2000 families continues to thrive and that could be by selling it that could be by putting in professional management whatever the case is but until people take the time to gain clarity on values their history the good and the not so good right because we always learn from things that don't work we never learn from things that work but just accepting the fact that oh yeah i took a sword on that one or did i ever blow that but what did i learn and sharing those lessons with your family. I think that is the part of human capital, which is not the financial, 
right? But there's a human element and it's like estate planning. It's not about estate planning, Kirby. It's about estate thinking. Estate thinking. What do you think about what you've built? And quite often, people don't even want to look at the number. They say, I don't want to look at this number. That's not me. And I'll say, well, that's not what I'm saying, that that is you. This is what you've built. Now, what does it mean to you? And what would you like to do with it? Because we don't always have to leave everything to our children. We can leave it to charity. We can help other people. But if if you haven't had an opportunity to reflect or have an advisor or a team of advisors asking you thoughtful, um, interesting and meaningful questions, then of course you're going to do the same templated, okay, you know, let's set up a trust, let's set up a holding company, let's buy insurance. I mean, it's, but it's all disjointed. And that is where messes begin because there's little cracks that end up becoming big holes. So let me play devil's advocate because I hear this a lot. A family member, particularly a matriarch or patriarch says, well, you know what? I'm setting this up, but I don't really know if it's going to be what I want to do. So maybe I won't communicate about what I've made, what I have, what I want to potentially transition or what I want at my death for them to receive. Um, How does that impair or impact this idea of estate thinking if you have real fear that you, you're not sure, like maybe stuff will change. Maybe I actually need more because I live longer. Or maybe it turns out that my son or daughter, who I thought was going to be just a great champion and great steward, maybe they are a little wayward, as you said, or not really interested or really actually resent me because they feel like I'm trying to control them with the wealth that I pass on. So talk to me about how human capital and relationships could estrange or make the estate planning process even more estranged. That's a lot of layers, Kirby. So let's start with uh, the big C word. And I'm not talking about capital. I'm talking about control. Most entrepreneurs start their businesses because A, they're unemployable, and B, they don't like people telling them what to do. And C, they found a better way to do something. So they're going to move forward on it. It's one of those three or a combination in my experience. So let's talk about control. If these conversations, and again, I think that you need a team and you need to have people that you interview and find um, that are trying to understand you instead of just explaining to you what you should do, because there's a lot of shoulds, right? You should, 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 should. And run away from the advisors that should all over you because that shoulding is not good. It's more about what do you want? What, what's keeping you awake at night? If we were sitting here three years from today and you were hit by a Mack truck and you were looking down from heaven, what would you like to see for your family? How would you like that to play out in your business? How would you like that to play out in your community? You know, what type of values would you like to impart on your children or grandchildren or what stories and lessons that perhaps you'd like to share? And there's a saying that you can't read the label when you're sitting inside the jar. And more often than not, the very successful type A entrepreneur is in the jar. And he needs to gently be lifted outside by a team of advisors that 
truly want to take the time to help that individual unpack, unpack some regrets, unpack some lessons learned, and share what their aspirations are. This idea of saying, well, if you die, you're going to leave a mess. No, the book wasn't meant to kind of scare people off. It was to provide them with some guidance so that they could see that there is a better way. There is a better way than just worrying about, well, if I die, I need insurance. If uh, I get sick, yes, you do need, you know, there, there may be a need for liquidity if you have a big real estate portfolio. But I think that it's understanding that it's more complex and there's different layers. And it's about having the right individuals that help you think about your values more than your valuables. Yeah, and I do sense that sometimes this is, um a very unfamiliar, uncomfortable place to have someone say, well, can't you just fix it? Like, just give me the plan. Just tell me what I should put in there and I'll just, that's good enough, right? Why is this sort of extra element of going the distance to have thoughtful communications while you're in the living and while those people, um, you can share more what the meaning is behind you know, why potentially your trust um, assets that you want to put in trust for somebody is less than somebody else. I mean, I see this quite frequently, especially when we have differently abled heirs, right? Someone who um, has a permanent disability and will never be able to earn the same income that somebody else might be able to. And so there's usually like, sometimes there, that's a very clear and obvious distinction, but Sometimes there's not as clear distinctions of like, you know, why not everyone may be equal um, in what they receive. And so I feel like sometimes the estate plan doesn't give you that um, memo, right? That gives you the the wishes or the intentions behind it. Is that something, Sandy, you see that you do a lot of work with clients? Well, like I have a situation of a client that amassed a significant amount of real estate and um, had a subsequent marriage um, and there was a lot of pain, right? Had four children. The four children have no idea of the wealth. Um, and after coming to me, we, you know, we pinpointed, you know, yes, there was an estate tax obligation and it needed to be properly dealt with in a planning way. And I um, brought in a tax lawyer and their accountant into the client's boardroom and the uh, tax lawyer starts talking about, well, hey, there's a great way to defer the tax. You put it all in this trust, this spousal trust, and then when she dies, the kids get it. And my client started kind of wiggling in his chair a bit, and I could see that. And um, I said, whoa, 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 like, what if, you know, the children don't get along with wife number two, right? Do you think that they're going to be looking at the obits every day? Like, the purpose here is not to defer tax. There's a combination of, of goals that this gentleman had. So I ended up taking the accountant and tax attorney out for lunch. And I said, basically, there's tax and you could minimize tax. And then there's control, right? And like, you got to try to find a balance. And he wants to know that he can save some tax. We'll, we'll deal with the tax problem with life insurance to fund it. But he wants to know he has control that if he wants to give his children during his lifetime or at the time that he dies, you know, that there's some kind of um, equality in there or fairness, that would be more important than just looking at it through a tax lens. 
The accountant looks at me and says, you have been dealing with my client for the last two years and I have I've been his accountant for 20 and you know more about his personal situation, the interesting dynamics, what he wants than I do. The tax accountant said, oh, I didn't realize that. Let me change my plan. And he did. He revised his plan. But still, there was an element of unknown. So the client did not feel that it was the right time to disclose his financial wealth to his children. And so I said, well, if that's the case, and, and it worked out that he would, you know, he had four children, I think, and um, he was going to leave it so that his wife, um, second wife was going to get something like 20% and each child was going to get 20% so that it looked even. But if you just looked at it from the family, you know, the children group and the spouse group, right, it was 80-20, which was not the case. So we coached him, um, and I shouldn't say coach, we guided him to share his stories and his whys, and we helped him write a letter. And he wrote a letter to his spouse, and he wrote a letter to his children. And it was, uh, there were Kleenex boxes in, in the conference room, but at the end of each letter, he explained his decision, right, and why he had kind of constructed his plan that way. And I remember after he signed it and he put it with his wills and I went, okay. I said, well, I just want you to know you've just put a, a Band-Aid on a hemorrhage. And he looked at me and he said, well, what do you mean, Sandy? He said, I said, this is temporary. We have to have a family meeting. We have to discuss, you know, your stories and your values and bring the family together to have these frank conversations before an all-out war because there will be an estate litigation and there was marriage contracts and all these other things i'm not telling you the full details but the point being that it was you got it it's, it takes a lot of courage to have a courageous conversation about what you envision for your family and it's the same thing if you have one child that's done exceptionally well financially and another child that hasn't right that may have special needs then bring you know either have individual conversations with each one and say this is what i'm thinking what do you think and if they say oh okay it's not that you love the needier one more than me because that's what it usually translates to in people's minds and our emotions when they get control of us kirby you've got a phd you know that little amygdala when it's on fire nobody listens but if you if the person that um, is planning their estate has conversations to say, listen, I love you a lot, but I think your sibling needs a little more help. This is what I'm thinking. And if that sibling said, well, I don't think that's fair, then let's have a conversation. Maybe it's, okay, I'll, I'll is there a charity? Because I want to try to equalize it in some way. And you can always say, you know what, let's say it's a, a, one child has special needs and the other one doesn't. Maybe part, would you be open to, like, I still want to split it, but in a way that I give to charity as well that takes care of this special need person and all of a sudden they're becoming part of the conversation instead of just this is how I want it and that's it because gosh you know like I'm from a family of six children we're blended and there's almost two generations in there my my youngest sister is 10 years younger than me and they lived she lived a very different life than when there were six kids right so there's a lot of stuff Right, and it's about having that conversation to deepen um, a relationship, maybe, or put a fractured relationship together, and that takes courage, Kirby. Yeah. And 
I don't know. It, it's it's very challenging, but I think that part of it is talking about why you're thinking, and then maybe there's a better way by yeah. having children or grandchildren be involved. You take such a fresh approach. I think it's courageous that you do the work that you do because, quite honestly, it puts you in the middle of a lot of heated and potentially conflicting situations. But I feel like when you're able to head off conflict by just owning it up front and saying this could be, you know, kind of what you unintended, an unintended consequence, right, of not having a very clear and even if you're not fully transparent on every piece of it, at least if they start to understand where you're operating from, to your point, your values and how you see the world and how that your values were informed by these three or four major things that happened in your life. Um, that that can just arm the next generation or those that are going to be impacted by your wealth with a good grounding to say, oh, well, I get it now because he shared or she shared this formative story or boy grew up in the depression and witnessed X, Y, Z, or, you know, it was a hand up, not a handout, right? So these kinds of lessons are formative to imparting the values and the, the insights to someone's intentions, right? And sometimes, you know, people are, are their intentions are not so great, <laughs> okay? Because there could be envy, right? Oh my God, I worked so hard and I built this up and now I just am handing it to you. Well, listen, you're it, it, it's up to you. They're not asking you to hand it to them. Why not, as I think I mentioned previously, would you give your four-year-old the keys to your Maserati? Right, you got to train them. They got to get a driver's license. They have to be the right age. So when do you share this information? When you think that it's age appropriate? Teach your children how to manage money. The importance of saving some, um, sa saving some, spending some, and sharing some. You know all those things and having conversations about that. And I think that um, wealth can soften the edges of life. I really believe that. And yet, if it's not transferred or gifted and it depends it could be a transfer it could be a gift who knows but whatever that mindset is if it's not done in a well-intentioned way then talk about human capital you're going to be creating a legacy of damaged capital mm. and that's damaged relationships damaged children who feel guilty who feel angry who don't understand who feel deceived when that wasn't the intention of the wealth builder or the person that's gifting it was not their intention but they didn't know what they didn't know and i think that we're 2023 and going into 2024 or 2025 the world is changing there's a lot of misinformation out there you know someone called it um digital distraction and i think there's a lot of that and people think that what they see is real when it's actually made up and there actually is no one in charge and you know as someone said to me life's not fair life is not fair well share that with your family and then explain to them that whatever your planning is is it, if it's from a place of the heart have the courage to share that with them and yet sometimes you know we don't even understand our own money scripts because it's kind of beneath the surface it's deep in the recesses of our minds and behaviors and I think that sometimes we have healthy ones and sometimes we have not so healthy ones yeah. I want to give my child everything because I had nothing 
Well, that's not a healthy one. I want to give my child nothing and make them suffer the way that I suffered. Well, that's not a healthy one either, right? And so money, um, there's financial. When you look at the human capital, there's a financial element, but there's a human element. And I think that we have to somehow or another harmonize the two so that when someone makes their planning decisions, that it's somewhat of a balanced approach that maybe the human element is more important than the financial element maybe having you know um, guardrails on the financial planning is important but if you don't know why right and you don't take ownership of that why and share the reasons why and communicate it then you're going to end up leaving a bigger mess than you thought yeah well and i love i love the guardrails concept um and i also love that it's really hard, right? If I'm a tax expert, tax um, advisor, and I'm working with your accountant, why wouldn't I do what I do best, which is tax efficiency and getting as much wealth or much business ownership or whatever to um, those responsible parties, those heirs. But if they don't know the full human capital side of the story, um, just what you shared in that last example, you can find that they do a really good job in their technical lane, but it doesn't necessarily fit. It's not like right size to the, the scenario or the wishes of the person it's supposed to empower. And I just wanna to jump to one other thought before we wrap it up here. I also find that a lot of times um, there's a lot of work done for the founder or the wealth creator or the person passing on wealth. Give me some thoughts or some ideas on how to shore up or support the human capital of those in the system that may not have the control or the power, who might be the ones impacted by that wealth transfer. What are your thoughts on how we support that element of the family system? Kirby, I love that question and I will, I will share with you what we're doing is we are facilitating family meetings to open up the doors of communication. And what's happening is all of a sudden, this generation is now being connected to the stories and the history so that they really feel that it is a legacy and not just a lottery. That's number one. And having them share stories and values. The other thing is financial fluency. People call it financial literacy, but I believe that in order to empower the second and third generation is how can we give them the tools so that they can make financial decisions that will empower their own self-confidence, you know, and not just be part of a family office where they get a check every month, because that can be very destructive for a person's self-confidence and even their sense of purpose. You know, all of a sudden that becomes non-existent and that's when you have uh, family members go into get into trouble, get into trouble. And that could be drugs, it could be, you know, relationships, it could be health, there's so many things. So I think that empowering that second and third generation and having conversations and asking them what they'd like to learn, which is what we're doing now with some families, like, let's, let's model your own individual plan. You know, I, I had one um, person, uh, yeah, a, a rising gen third generation that thought that if you only paid the minimum on your credit card, that was good for your credit rating, not realizing there's 28% interest. Well, that tells me that 
that's financial fluency and that's digital distraction of what she's hearing all around right and we definitely you know we said well that's not really the case let's let's talk about this and what would you like to learn and i think having them feel safe in an environment to ask questions and reassure people that questions don't mean that you're dumb questions mean you're curious and i think that that does a lot to helping someone either build uh, restore someone's confidence and, and that's key oh cindy i love having you on the podcast today and i'm so excited about your book thank you for um having the commitment to see it through and put words to paper it, it's a great read it's accessible it really provides some clarity of thought around you know disaster proofing which i love and transition planning and just the the more humanistic components of um, estate planning, risk management. So again, thank you so much for that contribution to the literature. Um, we're gonna have more links on how people can purchase the book, learn more about the book. And certainly I feel like we have a lot more to talk about. So I hope you'll come back um, at some point in the future to the Tamron Learning Podcast. Is there anything, Sandy, you wanna wrap up with one or two thoughts to leave behind? Well, firstly, I would like to thank you, Kirby, for inviting me. What you have created in your book and what you are trying to do for families of wealth so that they are empowered and inspired and have purpose is more than commendable. It's pretty awesome. And I'm hoping that there's going to be a whole wave of advisors and specialists and professionals that can continue to make this um, as Jim Grubman said, Wealth 3.0, well, let's get on our way to making money more meaningful than just dollars. Because if it's just about dollars, that's when you will be creating a mess. Not might be, will be. And I'm hoping that between the work that you do and my book and the work that we continue to um, do with our clients and help them make decisions that will provide clarity and confidence for generations to come. And that's pretty much what I have to say. So thank you. Awesome. Sandy, it's been such a delight. Sandy Pollock, again, she's here with us, Tryon Marion Advisory Group, and the author of Don't Leave a Mess. We loved having you at the Tamron Learning Podcast, and we're signing off. Sign off. Mm -hmm.